Welcome to Wednesday night, live. We're great that you're here. And those who are online, we're grateful that you're here. This class is one of those classes that's meant to put some peak in your week, to get you through those next couple days at work or wherever you happen to be. So let's look at what the class is all about. If you're new here, we want you to ask questions, to make comments. Please ask questions and make comments. That way, we learn from each other. And learning from each other is the best way to learn. So let's ask each other questions. Beginning in verse 1 of James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. And that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's our beginning. And if you'll bow with me now, we'll get started. Father, thank you for everybody that's here tonight. We ask that you help us to be open to each other and, and we show our love for each other. Help us, Lord, to look at James 4 and understand what it says. That we may take the proper road to get closer to you. I ask that you help me get out of the way so that people can see you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember last week, we ended up with these words. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, 
Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. So what do verses 13 and through 15 tell you about what wisdom is, what wisdom is not? Don't answer it once. It gets repetitive then. Sue? Put back the verse. I can do that. She was doing this, and I wasn't sure what she meant by it. Chuck? And they're using all of their earthly knowledge to get what they want. That's very, not wisdom. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Somebody else. Okay. That woke everybody up in the place. Hi, Doug. what you said, the wise person realizes God is in control, not them. And the person who doesn't realize God's in control, he does it by his own knowledge and his own wishes. Okay, thank you. Anybody else? Now that we've had the excitement die down? Okay, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial. Peacemakers who sow in peace and raise a harvest of righteousness. This is by Francis Chan. Francis Chan is a noted Greek scholar. He's written several commentaries. And he writes, wisdom is not about education. Wisdom is about action. It's about character. James says if you have wisdom from above, you're going to be pure. There's going to be a holiness about your life. So that brings us to an interesting question. How can you know the difference between what is wisdom and what is false wisdom?
Truthful wisdom comes from God. False wisdom comes from the world. Very good. Thank you. Okay, so you're saying that wisdom can be determined by the way people act. Did I hear you correctly? Okay, very good. I'm hearing you right, it's that that wisdom is the difference between who's in control, basically. It's not necessarily that it's a bad idea, it's who's in control. Okay, thank you. Chuck. I don't remember where it is, but I think Paul talks about you have knowledge, and on knowledge you have understanding, and on understanding you have wisdom. You have that knowledge and understanding, and it's really how you apply it, and what your motive is behind applying it, that really gives you godly wisdom. Because that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about godly wisdom. Uh -huh. Not worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom. Girl, worldly wisdom would be wisdom to say, how do I do unto others before they do unto me? Okay? Okay. That would be worldly wisdom. Yeah. As opposed to saying, how do I serve someone else in a godly way? Oh, very good. So, do unto others before they do unto you is worldly wisdom. Very good. We got one from online. We got from Raina. She says, false wisdom is preaching just telling people what they want to hear instead of preaching directly from the Bible. Oh, that's good, too. Thank you, Raina. Tonight, James 4 talks about human conflict. It's a pretty blunt book. This chapter, James doesn't really hold back at all. And I think you'll see that as we get into it. But what are some of the things that cause the quarrels and conflicts among people that he talks about in chapter 4? Greed. Greed. Good. Not getting your own way. That's good. I think sometimes people can be passionate about different things. And maybe they're not even the wrong things, but heading in different directions. And that can cause quarrels. Maybe somebody thinks it's important for this specific thing to happen at church, while somebody else thinks this specific thing is important. And you've got to go with one or the other. Okay. That can cause quarrels. Okay, good. Chuck? I guess in context of, of maybe our society is, it's all about me. It's all about me. Okay, good. Online, Raina says envy, and Heidi says pride. Pride. Thank you, Heidi. 
And was that Renya that said? Was Renya along with Heidi? Okay, thank you, Renya. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, but you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is another quote from the same man who, his commentary I used extensively in preparing this. But uh, what's the answer that causes quarrels and conflicts? What's that underneath? <laughs> Selfishness. It's all about me. All about me. <laughs> Heard that somewhere before, but that's very good, Chuck. Well, I'm not sure all the time it's all about me because sometimes in churches that I've worshipped in there is conflict because people think certain things are better for the church and those are different and they're not done out of maliciousness or lack of knowledge. I think it mostly comes from background experiences and it's not always, it, it gets out of control sometimes uh -huh. and maybe at that point it's all about me but I just think sometimes it slowly evolves that way. Okay, so it's a slow evolving thing that basically started out for good and sometimes can evolve each way. Okay, thank you. So you're looking for like the cure to quarrels and the cure for conflicts. Is that what your question is? Yeah, yeah, something that can calm Something down. that's stable. That way you don't have expectations built into it. You don't have the differences. You don't have the inaccuracies. Something absolutely stable and unchanging. Something stable and unchanging. Can yeah. you give me an example of something stable and unchanging? Something that comes with orange carpet, probably. The um, orange carpet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The, the church, the Bible, God himself would be something they don't change. They dis, There's no expectations. There's no differences. There's no inaccuracies. It's stable and unchanging. Okay, good. Chuck. Personal insecurity could do that. You know, a lot of times when somebody feels insecure, they're always looking for something else to make them look better. And that personal insecurity is a, can be a pretty big driver to people wanting more stuff, more things, better things, and everything like that, to make themselves feel better about themselves. Yeah. And when they're trying to get something, well, they're using everybody else as a stepping stone to get there. Yeah, very much, very much. I've seen that happen a lot. Okay. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Do you think James is actually accusing people of killing other people?
from the kill standpoint, you know, there's two deaths. There's a physical death and a spiritual death. And what you're doing is you're killing people spiritually. You're driving people away from the church. You're driving people away from God because you're fighting, you're quarreling, and everything like that. And from that standpoint, they are killing. Okay, very good. previous chapter was about the tongue and I think that kind of comes in here the words you say can basically kill people um, division putting people in a smaller place um, creating lies and rumors which cause more division these have the ability to, to kill and a lot of it comes from covetousness somebody um, very much desires a position or uh, responsibility or power and uh, that's that's something I just had there okay good I was amazed when I went into the commentaries on this that there are, there's different thoughts about it. One is, yeah, some people actually get mad at other people enough to kill each other, and there are a group of commentators who push that. Then there are people who talk like Chug does, that no, it's not a physical killing, it's a spiritual thing. When you run into each other and you bump heads and there's not love that binds us together, you just want the other person out of the way. And then there's a third group who come at, they say the idea is simply a metaphor saying, you don't like them whenever you don't want the same things. You want what you want, they want what they want, and you don't like each other. So there's a lot of different opinions out there, and I think most of you hit the good ones. So, very good. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. How can you tell the difference between good and bad motives? Who is it there for to glorify? Who is it there to glorify? Very good. Excellent. That's because I had the same answer. So that's excellent. <laughs> Sue, is that a, is that a, that's not a hand. Okay. If you can honestly answer, is this what God wants? With a yes. Now the problem comes, some people believe what they want and God wants are always the same thing. And they're not always. Okay, good stuff. What are some wrong motives for prayer? 
Get Peter over here and I'll come over here next. Material gain. Material gain. Okay, good. Chuck? I kind of chuckle. I'm old enough. I remember a song from Janis Joplin. And first part of the verse was, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> Second verse is, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? The motivation there was, I mean, it was, it was meant to be kind of humorous and like that, but it does reflect what people think in the world is, I'm praying for something for me. Uh-huh. Raina online says, should back up on the previous question about good motives and bad motives, but the bad ones inevitably hurt someone. And it's been a long time since I've heard somebody publicly pray for a curse on somebody, but I'm sure that could happen, and I'm sure that happens in their own private prayers just the same. Yeah. It does happen. It's happened in my office that if I'm talking to a young gentleman and we, are, we have prayer time, we usually switch off. One prays the first time, and the other prays the second time. And I've, I've heard him say, actually, Lord, make them suffer. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of tough. Okay. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred with God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. And that is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why do you think James is calling people adulterers? That's a strong term. He is labeling them as they're cheat like they're they're cheating on the relationship with God by desiring things from the world. Okay, very good. They're sort of cheating on the relationship. Yeah, great. one is, is kind of tough for us. But the idea is you're substituting God's will with the world's and that's two standards. So this is more spiritual adultery than any other kind. This is when people try to compromise with yeah but they tell me that this is the way to go about it. But God tells me that's the way to go about it. And if you try to to go this way, that's sort of cheating on God, even if you try to get half and half. You're not listening to God. 
And that's good. This again is Francis Chan. God longs for a loving relations with us. In fact, he has put a spirit in us for the sole purpose of connecting with his spirit. But we have strayed. We've been like an adulterous spouse, being more interested in the values of the world than in what God cares about. Now, here's a big thing about the first spirit. Francis Chan believes that this is the spirit we are put into us because we are made in God's image. He doesn't believe it's the Holy Spirit yet, but a spirit that God put in so that we would long for God. If you get into the Shema, you love him with all your heart, your mind, your spirit, and your strength. And that's our spirit that's normally alive in us. And he says, what happens is, if you get God right and do his will, that spirit connects with our Holy Spirit that he put in us when we became Christians. But if you do it the world's way, that's not going to happen. That's Francis Chan. Sometimes, I know it says adulterous, and we, we tend to go towards the marriage, but adulterate, that word, and I just kind of looked up the meaning, but anyways, because we all don't know what it means. But, but render, to render something poorer in quality by adding another substance. For instance, 100% all beef is what everybody advertises for hamburgers. If it was 80% beef and 20% sawdust, it wouldn't be... <laughs> It wouldn't be what you're interested in. And this is our relationship with God, our, our, re, our religion, for lack of a better word. Uh, you start adding sawdust to it, it's no longer 100% beef, and it's not what we're looking for. Okay. Uh, you're, you're with your husband six days a week, and you're with somebody else. And that, what, the other day a week. You know, that, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> and same way with God. He's a jealous God. He says it plainly in the scriptures. Okay, very good. Chuck? I guess to put it in context from an adulterous standpoint is we're the bride of Christ as the church. And when the church says, no, I'm going to go after this, I'm not going to go after God, our relationship was a marriage relationship with Christ. Okay? We were, as the church, we are the bride. If we go after other things than what that was, that's adulterous. That is good. I wish I thought that. that was good. <laughs> I'll get it. <laughs> but he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Instead of getting a beating from God, what do we get instead? It offers us grace. Yeah, the Christians get it all right. We don't. But if we're trying to follow God's word, if we're trying to follow what God has said, if we're trying to do it his way, he says God gives us enough grace to keep us growing in the right direction. It's sort of like uh, we went and saw our grandchildren, as most of you know. And they're growing a lot. But they have to have certain things. They have to have mom time and dad time and play time and 
friend time and all these other things, they're essential to their personalities. So they're giving them things even though they're not perfect. I think they're close, but not perfect. Proverbs 33, Proverbs 3, 33 and 34, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Good stuff. And the idea of being humble, that I'm not getting it all right, and I don't pretend that I'm getting it all right. I don't pretend to God. I don't pretend to other people. I, I'm still struggling. I'm still working at it. I'm still growing. Uh, and then that grace, it, we know we need it. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. I know I need the grace of God. The grace of God is very important. Okay. Uh, the uh, humility thing, when you were talking about quarrels and feuds, humbleness can end those kind of things right there. If you tell somebody you're right or just okay, a lot of times it diffuses the whole situation entirely. That's one of the reasons that when you have something against a brother or a brother has something against you, you go to him and you find out the facts. And a lot of times you can just say, okay. And it diffuses everything before it blows up into something else. Okay. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And this is, I don't think I have this as a question. No. What's this thing about Wash your hands and purify your hearts and get rid of being double-minded. In the Old Testament, let's make somebody an Old Testament priest. Jim Seltzer looks like our Old Testament priest. When it comes time for worship, Jim is going to take a, well, the best description is a bath, Jim. It's an immersion in water, that you come out the other side. You then wash down your hands in a certain way. You put on another garment. You purify yourself. So he's using the idea of the priest getting ready to worship God. And he says, if we're willing to do that as sinners, if we're willing to change our, our mind from what we were to God, we can do that. But these guys evidently don't because they're supposed to grieve and mourn and wail and turn their laughter into mourning and their joy to gloom and humble themselves. So what's the, what's the antidote of prideful, desire, proud, prideful desires that can cause quarrels? Humility. 
part of that is being penitent. And you could read that verse that way. Uh, and uh, the Amplified does. It says, be deeply penitent and grieve, weep. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you can't be joyful over things, but you're, you're, you're grieving over what you've done and your relationship with God. Okay, very good. Heidi Online points to verse 10. Humility, humble yourself before the Lord. Humility, thank you, Heidi. quote out of Isaiah 6, I think. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Matt. How do we counter our pride in our lives? I think this one's hard. We need to pray about it? Good. Very good. Thank you. On top, you know, not letting our ego grow too big. Because a big ego is what causes pride. Okay. Our ego grows too big. When you, football season, everybody is number one. Have you noticed? They could have lost 10 straight games, and they are number one if they take the lead. Why is that? We want to be number one. We are taught to be very competitive in our society. So the idea of, of that pride, you can get it. That's the contrast between the stories like the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, which we look at as being on top and a shock when Zacchaeus comes to Christ, or the rich young ruler who won't give up everything. But mm -hmm. such a contrast to the lady who washes Jesus' feet, she knows she's a prostitute. The lady who's been married five times, she knows she's been married five times. She has no, and it, it doesn't call out that, what do you do about that? start over. That's yeah. really all that can be done. So they, there's no pride left. They know who they are. Never forget where you came from. Never think you arrived. Thank you, Matt. Okay. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We have a song like that. What's in, how do you humble yourself? You ever watch that show Dirty Jobs? 
The guy gets, and he, he, you know, he'll milk goats or he'll scoop fertilizer or he'll work in the dump and stuff like that. There's a good start. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Dirty jobs. That'll humble you, yes. Sue's dad had a way of humbling me. I had never done the stuff he asked me to do. Uh, we went out to give cows pills. And he says, you do it with a blow gun. I said, that sounds simple enough. He says, not if the cow blows first. So it was that kind of thing where you never knew when he was kidding or serious. So I, I sat there and had to swallow pride at times. Susan. When I think of this, I think of uh, David. He, he was a man after God's own heart, not because he did not do a lot of wrong, terrible things, but when it was shown to him, he just said, God, do whatever you want. You know, it wasn't purposely, they didn't say, I'm going to make you do a bad job to make you humble. He said, you made a mistake. And he automatically became humble. Thank you. That's a good example. David is a great example of this. That he was great and then he made the big blunder and God just brings him back. Okay, good stuff. Eleven. Heidi online says she knew when her mother died, she really knew she wasn't God. She did all she could to keep her healthy, but in the end, she was crying at her grave and she couldn't do it. So it put her, like I said, okay. it humbled her. And who said that? That was Heidi. Heidi. Thank you, Heidi. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor. What are the reasons that are given for not speaking evil against each other? Since you're speaking evil of the law or God's word, ask you to do. Good. Some, that makes you... Be, speak evil of the law. Did I hear somebody? See somebody? Nobody. My answer to this one is we're all, we all make mistakes and we're all sinners. Sometimes the mistakes are bigger than other mistakes. David had, some, had a colossal one. But we're all in this together. We all are sinners and we're all here to put our arms around each other and help each other, not exploit each other. Love each other into being more like Christ. And that's important. When you know what the law says, and you deliberately decide not to obey it, but rather to violate it, what are you implicitly saying about that law? 
I heard Peter. It's meaningless to you. It's a meaningless law to you. Okay, good. Somebody over here said something, I think. No, nope. back there. You think it's wrong. You think it's a wrong. Good. Thank you, Matt. Or you think you're better than law. That's good. Thank you, Doug. You don't see the value in the law. You don't see the value in the law. Susan. A lot of times the law applies to everybody else, but not to me. I have an exception. Ah, the law is, you got to keep it, but not me. I'm the exception to the law. Chuck? You think you're smarter than the lawgiver. You think you're smarter than the law. I hadn't thought of that one. You think you're smarter than the lawgiver. Excellent. What right do you have to say such things about God's law? Zero? Zero? I don't think there is a right, but it is amazing that God allows us to challenge his law. And uh, going back to something you were talking about earlier, I think about keeping yourself humble, you know, There's many times in our lives, I think, where we don't always... I, don't, I think there's a part of the Bible everybody struggles with. Like, there's something in the Word of God that everybody questions or wonders if it's right. Or, you know, um, God's Word has a way of humbling you, <laughs> making you realize how much smarter it is than you are. <laughs> um, <so>. It's kind of <laughs> like the, the book of Job. You got Job, all the, the trials that came on him, and his friends sit around and blame him you know you've done something wrong against god and they'd talk forever and i think it was in what job 38 god shows up and says whoa 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 sit back let me ask you a couple questions we'll figure out who god really is me or you and it that's the same kind of thing it happens people think they're way above him okay good peter Okay. Very good. I'm a sinner, and because I'm a sinner, I've got to really look about what God says. Okay. How much time we got, guys? Oh! <laughs> I hadn't told me that before. <laughs> okay. 13 through 17, now listen to you say, come today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you think, why do you not even know that what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? Your midst that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. Such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. 
Come, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this city and we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make a big profit. Is it wrong to make plans? He's really trying to say, where's your focus? On the things temporal or on the things eternal? Okay, very good. Where's your focus? Just realizing I can, I can make plans, but it may not work out that way, and God is really the one in control. Okay, he is saying that. Uh, the sin that underlines this, these mistaken uh, assumptions, think of the last year. It doesn't go the way any of us thought it would go. We could have thought of all these plans that we were going to make and we were going to go in this city and buy and sell and it was going to get great. And it didn't work out that way for us. We ended up not even being able to go to restaurants or the movies or the beach. So if we planned it, it didn't happen. We think we're in control. We do think we're in control. Yeah, and I, I, I've said several times to people since the pandemic happened, I said if nothing else, the pandemic has shown us that we really are not in control of anything. Okay, it has done that. Think of a tea kettle. Steam comes out from it. He says, that's you. We see it for one second, then we're gone. And here you're saying, well, here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. And in fact, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend the next year here or there. That's Chan. And James says that's just arrogant. That you think that you've got it not only if you go to that town, you're going to make a big killing and you just, if you show up, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Instead, we say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. You think we all we have to say it's the Lord's will? If it's the Lord's will, we will.
really meant it. My grandparents did the same thing. I don't think it hurts to say it. It does not hurt to say it. You are correct. It does not hurt to say it. But we can say it if we don't learn it. Then it's, and I think that's what your parents were doing. Uh, they were teaching the principle as much as, as anything else by saying it. So essentially what James is saying in the last part is that thing that we've been talking about all along. The guys who like to take control. What bad effects does a godless sense of self-sovereignty have in our lives? We're going to finish with this one, so last turn to speak up. We become God. We become God. That's a good one, man. Thank you. Anybody else? The hearts that embrace chaos. When you plan and expect order and things like happen outside of your control, then it can be really disheartening. It can really hurt you and the people around you that you plan for and with. Okay. Thank you. That's very good, David. When, uh, on Sunday morning, I taught out of Haggai in here, but I had a, an English blessing that basically said, um, before the bread is the flour, before the flour is the mill, before the mill is the grain, before the grain is the sun and rain, before the sun and rain is the will of God. And sometimes we lose sight of anything and everything depends on his will. Okay, thank you, Doug. Okay. Good class. I am very thankful for everybody who is here. If you're online, I appreciate the comments and I appreciate the viewing. I want to invite you back this Sunday. This Sunday, Matt will be up here preaching and uh, if you've ever heard him deliver a sermon, he has a lot of enthusiasm. So come and hear him what he has to say. Thing. One more, One more thing. thing. On Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, we're going to have the graduation celebration for uh, Kevin and Ashanti. So bring finger foods, bring uh, ice cream. That'll be in a fellowship room. Once we're done in here with worship, we'll go back there. But it'll start at 6 o'clock Sunday evening. Yeah, I noticed ice cream was on the announcement three times. Yeah, there wasn't enough. So. <laughs> okay, so we will celebrate our graduates. Thank you all for coming.